welcome to the August edition of Film Intelligence's 2021 podcast series. In this week's podcast, we are discussing exciting new data in oncology space for melanoma and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, DLBCL. For DLBCL, we'll discuss expansion of CAR-T therapies in the second-line setting, as well as expansion of polyvy to the first line. Uh, in the melanoma state, uh, space, we'll discuss lymphocell, a novel tumor infiltrating therapy, uh, as well as new results for Keytruda in adverse setting for stage two, stage two melanoma. First off, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, data monitors David Dehan, a senior analyst who will be discussing CAR-Ts and Polyvy in DLBCL. Hey, everybody. Uh, and also, Ellie Davenport, an analyst at Desmonta, who will be discussing uh, Lifilusel, uh, as well as Ketruda in the melanoma space. Hi, everyone. Um, so to start us off, uh, David, if you can tell us about DLBCL uh, and the CAR-T therapies. Yeah, great. Um, so we currently have three CAR-T therapies approved for DLBCL. Um, there's Gilead Ziascarta, approved in 2017. Novartis' Kimria, approved in 2018, and the newcomer, Bristol-Myers-Scribbs-Brianzi, approved in 2021. These are autologous CD19-directed CAR-T products approved for the third line or later setting, and the approvals were based on single-arm trials. Until Brianzi was approved earlier this year, we had a three-year period where the competition was just between Yaskarta and Kimria, and Yaskarta was a clear winner with better efficacy and a faster manufacturing time. Kimria, on the other hand, was regarded as safer and so was used for older or more fragile patients. Both CAR-Ts now have long-term efficacy data suggesting they can be curative in about 30 to 40% of patients, which is just incredible in the third line or later, or later setting, and these as these patients used to have such a dismal outlook. Brianzi, the newcomer, is as efficacious as Yaskarta with the advantage of a better safety profile. However, its manufacturing time is still not as quick as Yaskarta, and Yaskarta has the advantage of physician familiarity and longer follow-up data. So now we can come to the uh, new results. Uh, starting in June, all three CAR-Ts have reported results from the first phase three trials. All three were being evaluated in the transplant-eligible second-line setting and were being compared to the current standard of care, which consists of two stages. Uh, the first part is rituximab combined with a platinum-based chemotherapy regimen, and the patients who respond go ahead with the second part, which consists of a high-dose chemotherapy followed by autologous stem cell transplant, and which is uh, regarded as curative. Uh, the CAR-T therapy consists of a course of lymphodepleting chemotherapy followed by a one-time infusion of CAR-T cells. The primary endpoint for all three trials was event-free survival, um, which was met in the Yaskarta and Brianzi trials, but unfortunately missed in the Kimraya trial. Detailed numerical results have not been released from any of the trials, but we know that the hazard ratio for Yaskarta was 0.398, indicating an approximately 60% improvement in event-free survival. Yaskarta also met the secondary endpoint of improvement in overall response rate. Um, the hazard ratio for Brianzi was not reported, but the trial also met secondary endpoints of improvement in progression-free survival, and complete response rate. Thanks for that, David. I was just wondering if there was any explanation as to why Kimria failed in the second line setting, whereas others succeeded. I knew um, Yaskos is also CD19 CAR T therapy. Yeah, so they're all fairly similar. They have uh, 
some differences in the construct. Um, so we know that in the third line or later setting, Kimia is not quite as effective as Yaskarda and Brianzi. So that likely played a major role. Um, and it is not just for DCL, DLBCL. We also see this slightly lower efficacy in follicular lymphoma. Uh, so the second thing is that there was also a difference in trial design. Uh, the Kimura trial allowed patients to receive optional treatment with rituximab and platinum chemotherapy prior to CAR-T therapy. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how many patients received this chemoimmunotherapy. Um, this is pure speculation on my part, but it's possible that the chemoimmunotherapy combined with the lymphodepleting regimen um, dealt a blow to the patient's immune system, such that the CAR-T cells were not able to function pro uh, optimally. But the bottom line is that Kimria failed the trial and will not be approved for the second line setting, and so will fall further behind Descarta in sales. Uh, with patients receiving CAR-T therapy in second line, um, now there will be fewer third line patients eligible for Kimria because patients that failed a, a CD19 CAR-T therapy uh, will not be good candidates for, for third line treatment. Um, of course, the second line trials uh, enrolled transplant-eligible patients, so transplant-ineligible patients who fail second line will still be candidates for CAR-T therapy. Looking at the two, um, the two CAR-T therapies that we're moving forward with in second line, do you think they're going to be, they're going to be able to replace autologous stem cell transplant? Um, so it should be said, you know, this standard of care has been around for about 20 years, and so has the uh, advantage of physician familiarity and long-term data. Um, so it is important that the emissions with CAR-T uh, are durable, and it may be that we will need to see an improvement in overall survival for the share to be a significant penetration of CAR-T in the second-line setting. This is where Yescarta may have an advantage over Brianzi. Um, the Yescarta trial was a larger trial, enrolling 359 patients versus 175 patients for the Brianzi trial. Um, so we may be more likely to see a significant improvement in overall survival with the Yescarta just because it was a larger trial. Also, it should be noted that these CAR-T trials enrolled high-risk patients who tend not to respond well to transplant. These are patients who are primary refractory or who uh, relapse within one year of treatment. And so I would expect to see favorable risk patients continue with the current standard of care for a while longer, uh, but we may see the, these CAR-Ts uh, replace autologous stem cell transplant um, in these higher risk patients. Okay, um, I'm just wondering in terms of kind of commercially, in terms of for hospitals and payers, um, how much do the CAR-T therapies cost and how does that compare with autologous stem cell transplant? Well, uh, stem cell transplant is not cheap. Um, the cost of all the associated procedures is estimated to be just under $400,000. Um, so CAR-T costs uh, three to 400000 but with the associated procedures, the cost of treatment rises to an average of, of 700,000. So still more expensive than a, a transplant. In addition, uh, not all of transplant eligible patients receive a transplant. You know, first you have to go into, be, into remission to be eligible for the transplant. And a lot of patients deteriorate after the chemo and are not healthy enough for a transplant. Um, there have been real, real, real world reports showing that only 10 to 15% of transplant eligible patients proceed to transplant. With CAR-T, almost all the high-risk transplant-eligible patients uh, will receive the therapy. So if approved, um, the use of CAR-T in the second line is expected to significantly grow the DLBCL market. Brianti is priced just a little bit higher than just Carter. I think about, is it about 10%? 
Um, I'm just wondering, will that affect its uptake versus Yocasta? Yocasta, should they maybe have priced it slightly lower or will it be quite competitive? Um, well, you know, I think it'll have, we have to see first the uh, how the data comes out. I think it'll it'll turn around on efficacy. Um, so it'll be if if Yescarda shows the uh, the improvement in overall survival, um, that may favor Yescarda. Um, and uh, and then um, Yescarda also has that, that advantage of physician familiarity. Mm, cool. Um, one of the points I was kind of wondering about, and I think there's a slight difference between the CAR-Ts, is uh, the safety profile. So what do you make of the safety profile of these CAR-Ts? So, um, yes, so kind of, you know, we talked about it already in the third line setting, uh, but in the second line setting, yes, Carter was the only one to report on adverse events and, and reported grade three or higher CRS um, in 6% of patients and grade three or higher neurotoxicity in 21% of patients. And these are lower than what the FDA label reports for DLPCL patients, which was uh, 13 and 31% respectively. So, you know, we're seeing uh, a, a better safety profile in the second line setting than the third line setting. Um, but still, you know, we're still seeing um, um, some of that neurotoxicity and, and some of that uh, high grade CRS. Um, but uh, don't forget that. Uh, uh, these, you know, the, the chemotherapy and the stem cell transplant um, are also uh, uh, ha have difficult safety profiles. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, when should we expect a supplementary approval for the second line setting? Uh, so, Gilead said expects uh, regulatory submissions by the end of the year, so we could see a supplementary approval for Yescarda by the end of 2022. Um, the ESCARDA trial was done under a special protocol assessment, which increases our confidence that it will be approved. Um, Bristol-Myers has not put out any guidance for regulatory submission for Brianzi, but I would expect a similar time frame. Okay, so they'll basically both kind of be approved in close succession. Yeah. Um, is there anything else kind of in the pipeline that could be a threat for the second line setting? So there are quite a few. Uh, um, therapies being developed uh, for the second line setting. Um, almost all of them are biologicals, um, but they are being developed for transplant ineligible second line patients um, with the pivotal trials enrolling second line or later uh, patients. So we don't see uh, too much for the uh, in the late phase development for the transplant ineligible patients. So for the uh, Sorry, for the transplant eligible patients. Um, for the transplant ineligible patients, the list of therapies include uh, bispecific antibodies targeting CD20 and CD3, namely Genmab and AbbVie's Epcortimab, um, which is being evaluated as monotherapy, and Roche's Glofitamab, which is being evaluated in combination with platinum-based chemotherapy. Um, there are also uh, CD19 agents like the monoclonal antibody Monjuvi, um, which is being evaluated in combination with venomustine, and the antibody drug conjugate Zinlanta, which has two pivotal trials, uh, one looking at Zinlanta with Imbruvica and the other evaluating Zinlanta with Rituximab. Um, the last biological is Polivy, uh, an anti-CD79B antibody drug conjugate being evaluated um, against Rituximab plus platinum-based chemotherapy. Finally, we have Expovio, um, a small molecule inhibitor of, uh, of nuclear transport, and it is being evaluated in combination with uh, rituximab and platinum-based chemotherapy. 
Okay, thanks for that, David. Um, my final question before we move on to um, the next section is, um, do you think CAR-T therapies will ever reach um, first line? And do you know of any trials that are gone going for that? Um, yeah, there is. Uh, there's been some kind of uh, early trials uh, showing uh, activity in, in first line. Um, but I think, uh, you know, at this point, I, you know, it, it'll be for a, a minority maybe of the highest risk patients. Okay, awesome. Um, so David, uh, thanks for that. So if we move on to the next topic, I think you just mentioned it, uh, which is Polyvi in DLBLC. So could you tell us a bit about, about that? Yeah, uh, so I'll get to start with some background information, as I just mentioned. Uh, this is Roche's anti-CD79B antibody drug conjugate. And one of its key strengths is the novel target, as, as there are currently no other agents targeting CD9, CD79B being developed for lymphoma. In the US, Polyvia is approved in combination with bendamustine plus rituximab for third line or later DLBCL, uh, but NCCN guidelines listed as a preferred regimen um, for the transplant ineligible second line or later patients. And in the EU, it is approved for second line or later uh, transplant ineligible patients. Uh, both the US and EU approvals were accelerated approvals based on a randomized phase two trial. Um, a confirmatory trial, Polarix, is comparing Polyvi combined with rituximab and chemotherapy um, to RCHOP in patients uh, previously uh, without in patient, patients with previously untreated DLBCL. Um, just in August, uh, Roche reported that the Polarix combination improved progression of survival compared to RCHOP, but has yet to disclose numerical results. So that's a, a, a win for, for first line. Um, and uh, RCHOP is a combination of rituximab and, and chemotherapy and has been the standard care, uh, standard of care for first line DLBCL since 2006. So this is definitely uh, big news. Oh yeah, 15 years. Um, I mean, given that RCHOP's been the standard of care for about 15 years, do you think Olivia can replace it? And you know, how long do you think it will be before it does replace it if it can? Yeah, so RCHOP is well established, you know, and induces uh, long-lasting re remissions in approximately 60% of patients. Um, that's why it's been so hard to beat. Um, so uptake of Polyvi may be slow, uh, but we think Polyvi will be well-received, uh, especially if it shows an improvement in overall survival. Um, it will also be interesting to see how the Polyvi combination does in two types of uh, DLBCL patients, um, the so-called GCB and non-GCB DLBCL patients, which are typically identified by immunohistochemistry algorithms. Um, the non-GCB DLBCL patients have a, have a worse prognosis, especially with frontline therapy. So if the Polyvi combination does especially well in those patients, it will be seen as fulfilling an unmet medical need um, and, and will increase uptake. Um, you know, what is the safety profile like for Polyvi? Is it comparable to RCHOP? Um, you know, how, how will this kind of affect its uptake? Yeah, so the press release just said that the safety outcomes were consistent with those seen in previous trials. Um, so we don't have much uh, detail there. However, uh, Polyvi is an antibody drug conjugate and those are, are usually have some toxicity issues. Um, kind of the, its FDA label for the third line setting um, notes that, the phase three, that in, the phase three, in the phase two trial, serious adverse reactions occurred in about 64% of patients uh, with the most common being infections. 
the label also has a warning for peripheral neuropathy. So that you know that's a concern. Um, and and the uh, the trial only in, uh, did not enroll any patients with anything greater than grade two neuropathy at baseline. Um, that said, it is interesting to note that to compensate for any polyvi toxicity, uh, polyvi was combined with, um, instead of the full RCHOP, it was combined with RCHP, um, it's, which is like RCHOP, but it lacks vitacristine, one of the chemotherapy agents. Um, so kind of uh, maybe that will make them more comparable in terms of toxicity, but we'll have to wait for, for detailed numerical results. Mm, I see. Um, so are there any other therapies being developed for first-line setting for TLPTL? Yeah, we have uh, three other therapies in late-stage de development, um, but other than Enzostorin, a novel PKC beta inhibitor, uh, results are not expected until 25-26. Um, so for Enzostorin, the uh, engine trial is evaluating Enzostorin combined with RCHOP in high-risk subjects uh, with results expected quite soon, so in Q4 2021. Um, so we'll see what those look like. Um, and, and kind of the, the trial is looking at enzostorin um, for first line, and that patients in the treatment arm who respond will receive enzostorin as maintenance therapy. So it will be first line and maintenance therapy. And um, the primary endpoint is overall survival in patients with a biomarker um, that is seen in 75 to 95% of patients. Um, so uh, that's the first drug, Enzostorin. Um, then we have the FrontMind trial, which is comparing Monjuvi combined with Revlimid and RCHOP uh, to RCHOP alone, uh, again, in high intermediate or high risk patients, and has an estimated primary completion date of June 2025. Uh, finally, Escalade is comparing Calquince combined with RCHOP to RCHOP alone um, in non-GCB DLBCL patients, uh, but it's looking at only at younger patients, those under 65. So it won't be, it'll only be looking at a fraction of uh, a first line. Um, and Escalade's pr estimated primary completion date is August 2026. Cool. Um, there was basically one of the classes I had a read about, which was CD3, CD20 by specific um, antibodies. Um, so I saw that uh, Roche is basically combining uh, monsunatuzumab and glofitumab with Polyvi. Um So I was wondering if you knew anything about that and the data for it, and you know if you had an idea of when that would be um, making its way through the pipeline. I think it's still early, uh, early stage, so it hasn't advanced yet to a pivotal trial. Um, so yeah, we'll have we'll have to see how how that develops. Okay, so still quite a while for that one. Yeah. Um, so I guess actually we're also talking about timelines. When do we expect supplementary approval for Polyvi uh, to happen in the US? So yeah, like the CAR-Ts, uh, regulatory submissions are expected by the end of the year. Um, so we could see approval by the end of 2022. So kind of you know, trying to wrap it up, uh, we are gearing up for big changes in, DL in the DLBCL treatment paradigm. Um, and these uh, regiments could be entering the market in late 2022. Okay. And do we expect um, do you expect them to be robust relatively easy uh, in the first line setting, or do you imagine there's going to be any barriers to that? Um, again, I think it's going to be well received. It's going to be um, it, it it'll depend on whether it shows activity in those non-GCB DLBCL patients, uh, which have the highest unmet medical need. Uh, 
but I think, uh, and it also be dependent on on really showing, you know, not I guess uh, an additional curative effect above the curative effect we already see with our job. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks a lot, David. Um, some really exciting results in the DLBCL space. Um, and now we're going to move on to looking at melanoma. Um, so Ellie, could you uh, walk us through some of the clinical data for Lifilusa? Yes, so um, Lifilusal is a co-observed autologous tumour infiltrating lymphocyte therapy, and this is also referred to as a TIL therapy, and basically it's being developed by Iovance, and Lifilusal is currently being studied in two phase two trials in advanced melanoma patients. Um, there's the C14401 trial, which is a phase two study, and that's investigating Lifilusal in heavily pretreated patients, um, and these patients have progressed on PD-1 inhibitors, and so far at the moment, these patients currently have no approved treatment options. And Lifilusal is also being studied in combination with Keytruda in the phase two IOVCOM 202 trial, and this is for immune checkpoint inhibitor naive patients, and I'm going to go into the data a little bit later. Thanks for that, Eddie. Um, so you mentioned that Lifilusal is being studied in PD-1 inhibitor refractory patients. Uh, I was just wondering, can you elaborate on what the data looks like so far and um, how, how that's kind of going? Yeah, so patients in the C14, C14401 trial have been heavily pretreated, as I said, and they had received a mean of 3.3 prior therapies. And this includes 46% of patients who did respond to Lifilusal had received prior treatment with a PD-1 and a CTLA-4 inhibitor combination. So in this trial, Lifilusal demonstrated a promising 36.4% overall response rate. And this response rate is similar to the response rate seen with pipeline therapy TAVO. And this is also in the same patient population. Also, at a median follow-up of 33.1 months, the median duration of response had not yet been reached. Um, and there were no new safety signals uh, related to Lifilusal in this trial, which is also very encouraging. So these results are an improvement on data that has been seen in patients who are either primary refractory or who go on to develop resistance to immune checkpoint inhibitors. And these patients, if they're then retreated with either immune checkpoint inhibitors or chemotherapy, often give very poor responses. Um, so retreatment with Keytruda and low-dose Yavoy has shown a 29% overall response rate. And it's even lower um, if patients are retreated with chemotherapy and often 4 to 10% um, overall response rates are seen. So for the PD-1 inhibitor refractory patients, um, where do you think Lifilusel will fit in uh, into the current treatment paradigm? Um, so... As I said previously, um, the treatment options for these patients are often limited, um, as often these patients have progressed on multiple prior lines of therapy, including PD-1 inhibitors and CTLA-4 inhibitors. And what they did find in the C14401 study was that although the duration of treatment with prior PD-1 inhibitor therapy wasn't associated with Lifilusal's overall response rate, um, they found from a multivariable model um, that results suggested that the median duration of response of Lifilusal almost doubled for every six-month reduction in exposure to prior PD-1 inhibitor therapy that treatment uh, patients were given. So therefore, um, early intervention with Lifilusal at the time of disease progression on PD-1 inhibitor would be very important for maximising the duration of response to Lifilusal. 
And another thing you have to take into account with these cell therapies um, is that there is a complex manufacturing process. So Lifilusil, for example, takes an average of 22 days to manufacture. So one idea that was suggested at ASCO um, by Dr. Luke in the presentation of results was that these tills could be harvested prior to the patient starting the second line treatment, following their progression on a PD-1 inhibitor. Um, and then usually they go on to receive a second line treatment with um, a PD-1 inhibitor in combination with a CTLA-4 inhibitor. And then this would allow patients to begin treatment with Lifilusil as soon as progression is seen on the second line combination regimen. Um, so you're not wasting any time and you're not adding in any extra PD-1 inhibitor lines of therapy. I was just wondering as well, are there any other TILs also in development or is Lifilusil the only one? I think Lifilusil is the only one. Okay, cool. Um, so I guess we'll probably have to wait for newer ones to come into the pipeline. Um, so it also kind of seems like the PD-1 inhibitor refractory patients will be quite a small uh, subgroup of patients. Um, so one of the things I'm kind of wondering as well is how the results are like uh, in a, probably a larger population, which is um, in combination with Keytruda uh, in a first-line setting. Yeah, so um, it, it's being evaluated with Keytruda in immune checkpoint inhibitor naive patients. And although what you need to know is that although these results um, are very encouraging, they are for the eye of COM202 trial, they're very early results and the cohort analysed only consisted of seven patients. However, in these patients, the combination did show really promising efficacy in immune checkpoint inhibitor naive patients. And I should note that most of these patients had a really high tumour burden at baseline. So the combination of both Lifilusil and Keytruda demonstrated an overall response rate of 86%, and this included a complete response rate of 43%. And um, for a comparison, in the Phase 3 Checkmate, Checkmate 067 trial in treatment-naive metastatic melanoma patients, the Obdivo and Yavoy combination demonstrated a response rate of 50%. So these results seen with, with the Lifilusil and Keytruda combination compare really well so far to the current standard of care for this patient population. So I'd say these early results are looking very encouraging. However, the efficacy and safety will need to be better characterised in a larger patient population to fully understand its efficacy. Cool. Um, and do you know if there's any, any indications of when these kind of larger studies will be taking place? Yeah. Um, well, on the back of the positive results from the phase two um, C14401 trial in the PD-1 refractory patients, iVents are expecting to file a BLA in the first half of 2022, but it's likely um, Lifilusa will be the first cell therapy approved for solid tumours. Uh, however, they do need to meet with the FDA to sort out issues with validating their potency assays, assays and until those is issues are sorted, the BLA filing isn't expected. Um, Ivance are basically expecting to meet with the FDA later this year um, regarding that. And then also for the combination of Lipilusol and Contruder, the combination has shown promising activity, but this will need to be better characterised in a larger patient population. And that trial is ongoing. Thanks for that, Ellie. Um, so I guess whilst we're on the topic of Contruder, uh, I guess we should jump on to our final uh, section, which is Contruder uh, in stage two melanoma. Um, so, Ellie, could you tell us some, a bit about that, please? Yeah, so Keytruda is a PD-1 immune checkpoint inhibitor developed by Merck, and it's currently approved for the treatment of patients with unresectable or metastatic stage 3 and stage 4 melanoma. 
and it's also approved for the adjuvant treatment of patients with lymph node involvement following a complete resection. Um, Keytruda is now being investigated in the phase three keynote 716 trial for the adjuvant treatment of patients with completely resected high-risk stage two melanoma. And an interim analysis, Keytruda met the trial's primary endpoint of significantly prolonging recurrence-free survival compared to placebo. And there were also no new safety signals linked to the drug in this setting. Um, so I was just wondering in terms of what is the current standard of care for these stage two patients? So um, surgical resection remains the current standard of care for all stage two melanoma patients and all high risk patients receive uh, lymph node biopsy. However, at the moment, only patients that show positive nodes in the biopsy are currently upstaged to receive a targeted therapy. And therefore, all high-risk stage 2B and C melanoma patients that present with negative lymph nodes have no option to receive an adjuvant therapy, despite them also having a high risk of relapse. So the goal of adding an adjuvant therapy is then to reduce this risk of recurrence for these patients. And what we hope to do by expanding Catruda's use into all high-risk stage 2 patients um, is reduce the risk of recurrence following the complete resection um, for this patient population. I see there's, there's quite a high need for this. Um, so one of the other things I'm, I'm wondering is are there any other drugs in development in this setting uh, kind of doing similar things as an adjuvant uh, and if there are how do they compare with Keytruda's results? So at the moment, Keytruda and Sevipotamol, which is a polyvalent shared antigen vaccine, um, these are the only two drugs in development for the high-risk stage two setting, adjuvant setting. Um, and so far, Keytruda's results compare really well against Sevipotamol's, um, which currently has failed to significantly improve recurrence-free survival in the phase three Mavis trial. So this is very encouraging for Keytruda, and will set it up to be very competitive against this pipeline therapy in this setting in the future. Okay, so it's actually quite a limited pipeline at the moment. Um, so I guess considering, you know, how lucrative it could be to invest into melanoma uh, and a lack of a pipeline pipeline candidates, do you think more more sorry, do you think more companies will start to target uh, stage two melanoma? Yeah, so I think. Um Basically, prior to the development of PD-1 inhibitors, the barriers um, to the development adjuvant therapies in these early stages of melanoma was mainly about balancing the toxicity to benefit ratio of treatments such as interferon alpha and Yavoy, both of which are pretty toxic. And these patients obviously don't have as much risk as the stage three and four patients. However, with the development of PD-1 inhibitors, and they're now a default standard of care for melanoma, and they're also very successful in the adjuvant therapy for stage three melanoma patients, I think companies will start to evaluate the role of these th targeted therapies in earlier stages of melanoma, especially seeing how successful Keytruda was um, in this trial. So where can we expect uh, Keytruda to gain approval uh, in stage two melanoma? So due to the limited options open to these high-risk patients and following Sevipotamol's disappointing results, the FDA has accepted and granted priority review to a new supplemental BLA application for Keytruda in the setting. Um, at the moment, they've set a target date of December 2021. And if it's approved, Keytruda will be the first targeted therapy available for these patients. That's amazing. Uh, just time for Christmas. Um... I think one of the things uh, that I was just wondering as well was um, 
how big of an opportunity is this for Merck? Um, you know, do we have any ideas how much uh, they could make in the melanoma setting? Um, well, I think they'll have a full. Um, they'll be the new competitor at the moment. Uh, we'll have to see how Sevaprotamol gets on. Um, they're still continuing the Mavis trial despite the failure to improve recurrence-free survival. Um, but at the moment, Katruda looks set to probably make quite a lot of money in the setting. Great. Well, it sounds like a blockbuster opportunity for Merck and also a great option for melanoma patients. Um, so that's all we have for this week. Um, so big thank you to David and Eddie for joining me. Uh, and please don't forget to have a look at our melanoma and DLPCL disease analysis reports on the Data Monitor website. Uh, also, please stay tuned for the September edition of the Farm Intelligence podcast. And bye for now.